We have some problems over here right now. We might have a hijack over here, two of them. And restore control. And now there's a new form of cyber matchmaking, college networking websites. Is this perhaps the next big thing? Same-sex couple soon be able to head to the altar. The British people have voted to leave the European Union. A major lead for mankind, said French President François Hollande. For President of the United States, and we are going to make our country great again. We expect to see the number of cases, the number of deaths, and the number of affected countries climb even higher. Okay, folks, welcome back to another episode of 21st century christian where we endeavor to apply the truth of god's word to the challenges we face here and now in this our ever-changing 21st century i'm super excited about today's episode this is part one of a series called lessons from the past and today we're going to be looking at the reich church the reich church and we're going to be getting into what that actually is in a bit but first and foremost, I'll introduce my guest. He was on with me last week, and I enjoyed, enjoyed his company so much, I decided to invite him on again. Welcome, Mr. David Nyhoff. Thank you, Bryce. Thank you, Bryce. Happy to be back. Yeah, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Glad that I haven't uh, worn out my welcome here uh, yet. <laughs> Not yet, no. But I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm super excited about this episode. Um, this is an epoch in time that is just has always fascinated me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and for good reason i think you know i was thinking about this before we jumped on here if there was a moment in period a period in history in recent history that i thought was the most fascinating rich colorful disturbing it it would probably be this period yeah you sort of you have a lot of interesting things going on, a lot of interesting factors and perspectives you can you can examine it from. Oh, so many different. And, and, and then I was thinking even beyond that, if you were to say, what is the most fascinating, colorful, rich, disturbing period in history ever, I would include this on the top of my, like somewhere in the top of my list. For sure, for sure. I think maybe ancient Greece and Rome, well, partially disturbing, but... Uh... Certainly, uh, another epoch, as you uh, so eloquently put it, of, uh, of, of historical uh, historical proceedings. And and to think that this isn't that far behind us, really, in the grand scheme of things. No, the Second World not. War. And for those who don't know, we're talking about the third, what is called the Third Reich. Um, we're talking about that period of time in history when Germany was under the influence of the Nazi regime which resulted in the second world war. And today specifically what we're looking at is the church's involvement in that, um, the church's protests against that, and also the unfortunate affirmation of that movement by some Christians at the time. And specifically the Reich Church. Now, just as a little bit of background information here, what do I mean by 
Reich. Well, Reich is a German word that roughly translates realm or, or kingdom. And, and Nazi Germany had come to, to see itself as this third Reich. The first Reich, I believe, would be probably, I think, is a reference to the Holy Roman Empire, and then in the 1800s, you have this period of unification under Otto von Bismarck. And then this next period of time, which they've referred to as this Third Reich, or as some called it, a th- or as Hitler referred to it, a thousand-year Reich, a thousand-year kingdom of German Aryan domination and racial purity. So that's setting the stage a little bit here, but maybe even going back a little bit further, we have to understand the history of Germany a little bit and, and these, these people. Now, we think of Germany now as this single unified power, but there's this long history of, of different provinces and, and princes and kings and you have the Prussians, you have the Bavarians, and they're not all kind of together. They're, they're separate, and they each have their own uh, rulers. And for the longest period of time, they are sort of under the power of the, the Holy Roman Empire. And come the 1500s, that's when Martin Luther comes along, the German Augustinian monk Martin Luther comes along, and he nails his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, and in a sense, declares war against Rome, although that wasn't his initial attention at the time, but that sparked the Protestant Reformation. And so fast forward, uh, I guess it would be 400 or so years, at the time of the Second World War, Germany is mostly Protestant. I would say about two-thirds, at least two-thirds Protestant. And so this is the seedbed, the home of the the Reformation. And so you would have this, this shift away from Catholicism into Protestant Protestantism. Now, up until the Second World War, the church and the state existed in this sort of symbiotic relationship. They, they sort of worked together because you have to remember that during the Reformation and the early early periods of the Reformation, Martin Luther and the other reformers were protected by the German, the Germanic rulers, the German rulers of that time. And so there existed this sort of, uh, I guess you would say, um, unique relationship that was that existed there that was rooted in in the past. And that's sort of what is happening here during the rise of Hitler's Third Reich. Um, So maybe we could explore that a little bit, just because I feel like a lot of times we look at uh, the Second World War, we look at the period of 1939 to 1945 as this sort of isolated moment that takes place in a vacuum. But there is a lot going on on here, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'd say even looking at, um, you know, looking at the initial period when Adolf Hitler uh, came to power, it was quite interesting for me to read that uh, the majority of the churches were, uh, if not supportive, um, you know, okay with, uh, okay with Hitler's uh, transition into power. Even, even um, 
having hope that this sort of symbiotic relationship might continue and, and flourish under his, mm. uh, under his leadership. Yeah, that's a good point. So you have this, this long tradition of the relationship between the church and the state, and that's being threatened. So I was in my research, I was reading about how after World War One, because, you know, you had this sort of uh, monarchy of Germany, right? They were, they were governed by a, by a monarch. And that was sort of uh, done away with at the end of the First World War. And a democracy, a democratic government was established. And that threatened the relationship that the that the church had with the state so what the church was facing then after the first world war was um cutting of government subsidies for the church confiscation of church uh property um no more theology um in universities banning of school prayers banning uh religious instruction in schools generally speaking, um, and, and things like that. And so this would have made a major shift. And so you see the, this, this government that takes shape in after the First World War, because remember the Germans lose the First World War and they get beat up bad, yeah, right? That didn't, like, uh, that didn't go so well for the monarchy, the result of that war, eh? <laughs> not at all. And so people were, obviously Germans were humiliated and they were, um, being shamed by the basically the entire Western arena and all the, the powers that they had fought with and who were now were implementing all these strict restrictions and, and punishments upon the German people. And it was very, just very, very heavy financial sanctions. Oh, very heavy. Like, I don't know, billions of dollars, which now is like a crazy amount, right? Like if you were to translate that now, you, you could just, I don't have the exact figures, but it would, it would be, be unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Trillions of dollars well, to the point where people in the, uh, the pre well, post post world war one period in Germany were papering their walls with, uh, with, with currency. Oh, so because of the inflation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like money was just worthless because of just, it was just the economic system was just in turmoil at that time. Everywhere is in turmoil at this time in Germany. Right. So absolutely. You know, and you have to it's see just, a people that were, you know, sort of looking to latch on to a beacon of hope. If you sure, out, right? I think that's a great way of looking at it, a beacon of hope. Absolutely. So here comes along into this environment the National Socialist Party, led by the charismatic, um, although not very charismatic in his personal life, apparently. But once he got on the grandstand you know, this, this grand order, Adolf Hitler, captivating speaker, um, Adolf Hitler, and this movement of national socialism. Now we won't get into all the details of what national socialism um, is, but roughly speaking, um, well, it, it, it's a fascist movement, but it's, 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 it's unique in, in, in some ways too. It's, it's sort of its own thing. Like if you look at it, think of it on the political spectrum. I feel like national socialism has like a kind of like a unique spot. Hey, like it's in, sort of hard way, to define. Like what sort of aspects are you, are you thinking of when, uh, when you make that statement about it? Well, it's, it's so basically it's interesting because it's called the national socialist movement, but you know, the Nazis, the, the leadership Hitler and his, and his party members, 
despised communism. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. They hated it. Like there was a, there was a big uh, feud in Germany at the time, an inner feud um, between the, the, the left-wing communists and the, the, the nationalists. Right. Um, right absolutely. And so it's sort of, it's sort of a weird thing, this national, they're nationalistic, but they're socialist um, at the same time. And, and yet they're a fascist party and they're led by this Fuhrer, which just means leader, this leader, Adolf Hitler. So, but well, basically, I, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I don't know all the facts about his, his rise to power, but I'm, I'm seeming to remember that perhaps maybe it sort of was his hijacking of the party even. Yes. Certainly Initially, with his, with his yes. military victories later, but, no, but in, absolutely. In, both cases, like, yes. in both cases, I think the, the feeling in the room was you can't argue with success. No. Well, actually right off the beginning, he sort of, he sort of um, bullied the other members out. Like, cause initially the, this, he kept the name basically in a sense, initially there was this socialist movement and Hitler came along, he took control of it. And then it became something more, I guess you would say far right uh, fascist um, that really emphasized certain anti-Semitic doctrines and, and principles and racial doctrines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, racial, anyways, racial and atheistic, I think. Yeah. Racial atheist uh, to point out. Yeah. Sure. So, um, yeah, rooted in German uh, mythology and paganism and uh, folklore and the occult and social Darwinism and as well. Social Darwinism, yeah, absolutely. The the will to power, right? Like we have a right to expand and and go into what Hitler called the Lebensraum, the living space that was that was Providence had granted the Germanic people. And of course, the Germanic people were the Aryan people. They were at the top. They were at the you know, if you were to trace them back through history, this is like that golden, uh, I get what you would say, strand that waves its way through history. And they were the Nordic people, the descendants of the Nordic people. And and Ger- Germany at that time was the best representation of this super race. And, you know, it had become watered down a little bit, but they were the sort of the the best hope at, let's say recapturing um, this Aryanism of the past. And people, people latched on to this, you know, this was a huge boost in their pride, so to speak, you know, this is saying that we are this special people, which has a special by nature, you know, it's, it's in your your blood. It's in your blood. Absolutely. Um, which is, I mean, when you can think about all these, this, let's say, belittling and shame and guilt that they were dealing with. And let's be honest here, like the First World War, like the Second World War, we can say, okay, here's the bad guys. It's the Hitler and the Nazis and the Axis powers. Here's the good guys. It's England and the States. But the First World War isn't that black and white. No, no, certainly, you know, there, there are some things where you can point to the German empire, but they were looking for a scapegoat for sure. I think is a, is a generalization that you could say about, um, 
Exactly. So I think there was a little bit, it was a little bit blurry there. Anyways, that's just sort of background information, stuff that most people know, I, I suppose. There's, you know, a popular level knowledge of Nazi Germany. And, but, you know, in, in, in other ways, it's, it's much more complex than that. You know, it's easy to sort of point our fingers at the past and oversimplify it. But there's a lot of dynamics that are at play here. And when you're in that moment, let's say you're a German Christian at that time, you're a Protestant Christian, it's, we, I mean, we have to be careful not to, to become self-righteous when we look back at the past. We, we have to understand as best we can the context. That doesn't excuse what people did or didn't do. Um, but we, in order to learn from the past, I think we have to take an honest and humble appraisal of it. Yeah, especially when all of society is, is latching on to this exciting new leader. And, and he's saying things like, I'll read a direct quote from him. Uh, here's Hitler speaking of, you know, Christianity is going to be the basis of our national morality under our firm protection. You know, and he appeals to Almighty God to take our work into his grace, steer our will, bless our understanding, and gladden us with the trust of our people. And I think that's that would be very appealing to, um, you know, a German Christian at that time living in that, uh, in that societal context. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I guess we should maybe move into a little bit about what the church uh, said in support of the, the Nazi regime and, and what it said when it spoke out against her. So there, there, there's sometimes I think there's this misconception that the, the Nazis were actually Christians and then Christianity was somehow this undergirding influence, but that's not the case. Hitler was an opportunist. Mm -hmm, um, absolutely. On a personal level, Hitler despised Christianity. He despised Christians. He saw them as weak, right? Right. Um, yeah. He, he, hopes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that wasn't anything to like, and if you look at Nazi doctrine and Nazi philosophy, I mean, it's Christianity. This is this is what happens, okay? So, you I mean, this is the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation. Like, you can't just sweep away Christianity from Germany. Um, of course not. I think I was reading somewhere forty-five million Protestants at the time. That's not a that's not a small number. You no, subjugate that that proportion of the population, right? Like, and how do you go about that? Like, you can't just say, okay, bye bye. Like, you have to do something and i was reading this article and um basically talking about how uh the the techniques that they utilized by the reich church or by the state sorry um and one of those was so to basically control the church by aiding nazi elements within the church to assume power mm -hmm. um another one is Proclaiming state neutrality towards the church while continuing to push the party program. And then finally, an attempt to crush the influence of the church by limiting the freedom of the clergy and by restricting all types of church activity. I'm reading this from an article I found called, written actually, I think it was sometime in the 50s, so it's an older article, 
um, entitled the German Protestant Church and the Third Reich, a study in institutional conflict. So that was basically this guy's arguing is that these are the, the, the techniques that they used to overthrow the, the Christian system at that time. Now, we have to also understand that not all Christians, you know, we're talking about how easy it was to get swept up into this Nazi ideology. Not all Christians supported this. Um, a great deal of them, I don't know, we might say roughly half of them were not for this Nazification of Christianity. So basically what happens is you get two groups come out of this within the church. One of those groups is called the, they call themselves the German Christians, or another term that is used for them is Reich Church. Mm -hmm. The Reich Church. Mm -hmm. Now, this is like basically totally Nazi, like not the Nazis are basically determining who gets to, to be in charge. They're replacing Bibles with um, Mein Kampf, which is Hitler's autobiography. They're putting swastikas up everywhere. Um, basically, they're getting rid of all the doctrines that are, you know, part and parcel with the Christian faith. So here's what one of the Nazi minister, this is what the Nazi minister of church affairs said. And so another, another title that they had was positive Christianity. That's what they called their movement, positive Christianity. Man, these guys were good at propaganda. They were good at wordplay. They were good at absolutely uh, like trying to, to uh, persuade people. Um, even, with their even words. at the beginning when they were a bit more, you know, friendly to the church. I don't know if you read in your research at all about uh, Ludwig Muller. Oh, yeah, Muller. He was the, the Muller, bishop, yeah, the Reich say. bishop. Yeah. Right. But but sort of how they, they tried to, um, you know, get him get him uh, elected into uh, elected into that position, even by the churches. Yeah, democratically, like yeah. they were filling the churches with flooding the churches with this Nazi propaganda to try to make it. And this is what Hitler did, man. Like he. He tried to to give the appearance of of popular ascent, you know, but they would use all sorts of bully tactics in order to sway the outcome. Right. So yeah, they had. Um, uh, I guess uh, Hitler's Hitler's soldiers would be um, attending churches. He he initiated his storms to the churches program, and they attended services en masse in their uniforms just to apply pressure to the voters, right? Oh man, that's, you know, that's typical, in typical Nazi uh, fashion. Um, <laughs> but, and here, just to give people the idea that this, these positive, this positive Christianity, this German Christian movement. Now, I, when I say German Christians, again, I want to start, I'm not talking about all Christians who are German. That's sort of what they call themselves, the German Christians. <laughs> they said the, the Nazi minister... Of, of church affairs. Um, I don't know if I can find his name here. Uh, Hans Curl, I could be pronouncing that wrong. Hans Curl. He says that um, positive Christianity is not dependent upon the Apostles' Creed or any sort of faith in Christ as the Son of God. In fact, the Fuhrer, he says, this is his direct quote. The Fuhrer is the herald of a new revelation. Like, uh, we think, man. we look back at that, we go, what the heck is going on? Um, 
What an interesting example there. Cult of personality, quite literally, right? That is the cult of personality. You bet, man. That is crazy. But, but here are literal cults. Like people talk about, you know, JFK or whatever, but, but no, man. man. This is a he's a herald of a new revelation. It's crazy. Him, right. Well, I was oh, reading I was reading in uh in one uh portion of an article I was reading that um there was a rhyme uh, taught in school now it's, it's in german not dutch so i won't try and try and read it but uh it goes like this fold your hands bow your heads only think of adolf hitler like you know that that's what they were teaching you know as, as opposed to prayer right <laughs> oh my goodness so here's the thing so initially you have these this more left-wing government this i guess this republic so a democratic social democratic government kind of comes into power after the first world war they want to take away the privileges of the church and so you have the church sort of latching onto this more uh right-wing movement but their it their their intent is the same they're not any more in line with christianity than the other guys are um in fact i, I the church probably would have been better off with the uh social democrats with the weimar republic um yeah but in any way i mean we don't know ultimately what happened but so just going back a little bit i had said that the the Christians, the Protestant community, and we don't have enough time to get into uh, the Protestants and the Catholics and how they differed, but we'll just say that the, the Catholics were, to their credit, much more um, oppositional to uh, to the Nazi regime. And I think a lot yeah, of that has to do with... and in the end. But Yeah, but I think a lot of that has to do with... Where they, they walked back, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with just history, too, with Germany and with the Reformation, maybe, too. Um, but in any case, um, the other group, so the German Christians, the Reich church is sort of the one side of things. The other group is what has come to be referred to as the confessing church. Um, the confessing church basically said that these Nazi Christians, these people who have embraced Nazi doctrine are not true Christians. And I think that is a fair assessment to make <laughs> you might um, say you might say Bryce. yeah <laughs> so they got together and they were headed by a gentleman by the name of or one of the leaders in that group was a, a very famous theologian by the name of carl bart uh, one of the the most influential theologians of recent memory and he he also um uh, in that group is a gentleman like by the name of a gentleman by the name of dietrich bonhoeffer who a lot of people will have heard of um, yeah, he ended up being pretty up there, eh? Yeah, he ended up being killed in a, a concentration camp um, because of a folded assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. So there were Christians who said, no, this is wrong. We have to stop this guy. And some even said, well, we have to kill him, actually. Um, but they got together and they actually uh, wrote what is called the Barman Declaration. Mm -hmm. and yeah, in, yeah. And in that declaration, there's six evangelical truths, which they iterate. Um, I'm not going to, to, um, get into all of them, but here's an example. Uh, it says the church reminds men of God's kingdom, God's commandment and righteousness, and thereby the responsibility of rulers and the ruled. She trusts and obeys the power of the word through which God maintains all things. We, we repudiate the false teaching that the state can and should expand beyond its special responsibility to become the single and total order of human life and also thereby fulfill the commission of the church. That's just one quote. Um, and they make it very clear in there in the Barman declaration that Jesus Christ and not Hitler is Lord. Um, and so I think that's important 
um, to recognize uh, when we get in this discussion. And it's, it's, it's certainly good to know that there were Christians, you know, who had the balls to, to vocalize their dissent. Um, certainly the, the dissents to uh, seizing control of the church. I, th I think there are lots of areas, even where uh, uh, Bart failed in, um, you know, speaking out against uh, the Holocaust, but yeah. Well, there's some, there's some, like, you know, we go back and they say, well, they should have been more uh, vocal about the uh, discrimination against the Jewish people. And I think a lot of them probably looked back and said, yes, we should have. Right. Um, but but you, I think but you that, also have to say, not necessarily those gentlemen, but the society there yes. was pretty homogeneously anti-Semitic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's another important thing to recognize, too. Like, anti-Semitism didn't just show up, like, out of the blue. And, it, and it's not exclusive to Germany when you look at World War II. You can, not you at can all. In both the Axis and the Allies. Oh, absolutely. In, in America at the time, like... Mm -hmm. There's lots of uh, prominent American anti-Semitic figures. I mean, this wasn't, this is basically what happened. Um, they saw the, the Jewish people because they were, the Germans were the Aryan people and they had sort of been in this, this age long conflict with this other group, this, the Jews who were these like clever, cunning uh, sort of um, stab you in the back. Uh, money lenders, money changers, um, mm -hmm. these crony capitalists who were only interested in in enriching enriching themselves at the you know at the demise of everybody else. That was sort of their perspective on the Jewish people, and that's the propaganda that they fed, and that's what people the idea the German po the Jewish population actually in Germany was not very much. Um. But I, I think in some senses, it's one of those things with when it comes to other discriminations. If you don't know too many people, it's easy of a certain group of ethnic group, it's easy to dehumanize them. For sure. Um, and you see a lot of that in, in war. If you could just talk for a moment about the, um, the Pacific theater, you know, mm -hmm. I think it was a lot easier for those soldiers under the propaganda from the from the allies to to kill the Japanese. Oh right? yeah, sure. To to paint a caricature of something that's not understood and sort of subjugate a certain group. Um, we should also, I guess, talk about. So we have these two groups: the German Christians, the right Christians, who were totally for the Nazi regime and who ended up with something that didn't resemble Christianity at all. Um, one of the things that they did, or some of the things that they did, for example, was they had to get rid of the Jewish influence of Christianity, which is obviously uh, hard to do because Jesus is a Jew. All his apostles are Jews. All the authors of all the books in the Bible are Jewish. Um, the majority of the scriptures are, are dealing directly with the Israelites, the Hebrew people. A bit problematic, so eh? <laughs> it is. So, and they may manage to swing it. And But this is here's an interesting thing. Liberal Christianity was born in Germany. Right. Uh, yeah. German liberal Protestantism the was born in of, uh, of higher criticism too. Higher I, criticism. Right? Okay. So here's the thing: higher criticism, liberalism, basically allows you to deconstruct the scriptures to basically get rid of the supernatural because obviously that wasn't in line with modern science, and 
And so basically the text lost any sort of divine authority. It only represented the minds of these, the individuals who wrote it. Um, and so it could basically be construed to, I mean, to say anything you wanted, if that's sort of your paradigm, like it's, there's nothing special about it. Um, you know, Jesus, as we read about in the gospels, wasn't actually, uh, he wasn't the son of God. He wasn't a miracle worker. All of that stuff was added in by his followers, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it wasn't a big problem for a lot of people to say, well, we don't need the old Testament. You know, we don't need, uh, the genealogy of Jesus that says he's the son of David, you know, like we can take out all of this Jewish stuff. Um, and we can use the Bible to support our ideological agenda. And that's basically what happens. Um, so, but obviously if you hold to the authority of scripture as the infallible word of God, you can't do that. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a problem, eh? You can't just take what you like and and get rid of the rest. And you certainly can't start saying that Jesus isn't the Son of God and that He didn't perform miracles. Like, I mean, that stuff is is what Christianity is founded upon. You know, the the miraculous, the supernatural, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as the Son of God and the atoner the atoning uh, work for propitiation for our sins. So um, all of that is basically thrown to the wayside for this new brand of positive Christianity, which I mean, like what a, what a stupid name, but I mean, you can see how it <laughs> has like a certain ring to it. Hey, like it oh, basically they were, they just were master spin doctors, master. Oh man. It's like, we just basically positive Christianity to imply that everything else is just negative Christianity. Um and so that sort of, I think, feeds into it too. Just the overall uh, philosophies that were around. So you have this liberal Christianity, you have social Darwinism. For those that don't know what social Darwinism, basically it means you can uh, take the principles of Darwin, which he applied to um, other life forms and apply them to, to human society and basically say survival of the fittest, right? So you have the right to sort of impose your will upon other people for the good of, or for your survival, um, so, I mean, the Germans saw themselves as this pure race, which needed to be preserved and kept clean and hygienic and undefiled by the influence of this lesser uh, Jewish influence, which who they likened uh, to rodents. And, um, and so basically, and the Slavic people, they didn't like the Russians or, or those people um, to their east. And so they oh, needed to basically... That, that especially sure. easy to sell to the church, I think. Um, oh, sure. You know, they, they were atheistic Bolshevik, uh, Bolshevists, right? So it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, to, to sell that one. Oh, that's a great point I think you make, David. Like a great point. Like, yeah, here's these, look at these communists, these anti-religious uh, communists over there in Russia, no, right? Even, who even are, though the, the German regime was no better, but <laughs> no, but they, they, they were, like you said, spin doctors, they were opportunists. They, they, I, these guys, the guys at the upper echelon, they, they weren't uh, followers of Christ by any stretch of the imagination, but I was reading they in that book, uh, neo, 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 yeah, and, they, and if you look at, there's so much research that's been done. This is what makes this, this stuff so fascinating. These guys were into all sorts of like, occult and myths and like uh 
gathering artifacts which have like yeah, it's, spiritual it's power than watching it's crazy than what crazier than watching indiana jones when oh when it's up on some yeah of man stuff, and like, like ceremonies and <laughs> like my goodness man this is this is the most interesting stuff but uh and yeah i think what indiana jones and the the raiders of the lost ark in that movie of course hitler's looking for the ark of the covenant because he wants the supernatural power and you know, just even the stories about the spear of destiny, right? That yeah, I was just hearing about that from my coworker actually. Yeah, they um I don't know if they ever commandeered it or they got it, but I, I think, think it was they, a- supposedly they did, and um we're having some some uh, successes in battle. I don't know. Interesting. I think that might be that might be folklore, but certainly yeah, I, I can see that captivating captivating hitler yeah. oh sure this myth they're creating a like they're creating someone right like he's they're making him out to be a god a divine figure um and i mean he had a lot of success geopolitically with conquering uh you know austria czechoslovakia poland you know unifying germany in a way that no one else had um germany was at its largest you know um geographically speaking under hitler um, from the periods of 1939 to 1945 than it ever was or has been since. Um, so you can hmm. see how people sort of rallied around this whole ideology and this yeah, past, like, like I said you know. Earlier, you can't argue with success. No, and this past <laughs> idea that we are this great people have descended from these uh, uber mensch, supermen, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's it's a fascinating uh doctrine which they developed and which they used to poison the minds of of millions and millions of people i'd i'd just like to say for a minute to uh well, perhaps partially correct ourselves here um the spear of destiny the only uh connection i can make uh to adolf hitler is uh is in the dc comic book universe unfortunately <laughs> but i did not <laughs> say that they did i did not say that they did get it i said i've heard stories about them commandeering it um, not just from the DC universe, mind you. I'm, I'm pretty sure there was more to that. But if, if not, then I recant. Um, but in any case, um, definitely occultish influence there, uh, atheistic influence, social Darwinism. Um, Nietzsche, Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the, you know, the German philosopher, will to power, um, God is dead, all of this stuff. And at the same time, trying to have a, this relationship with the church and influence the church, it's just, it's a weird, weird system that's going on. Um, Hitler knew that he had to align himself with the major institutions. I was reading in uh, that famous book, William, uh, is it Shirer or Schreier, uh, his rise and fall of the Third Reich. And he knew that he had to basically befriend or manipulate the major institutions in Germany at the time. Um, in order to be successful. And one of those institutions was the church. You also had the business moguls, the businessmen, and you had the military generals, um, the old guard in there as well. And these were all sort of institutions, Germanic institutions, which um, he needed to win over to his cause. And I mean, honestly, he did a good job of it in Mm -hmm. a sense. Um, He had, as long as he was successful, he had, he had a lot of their support. So even being able to seize control of the schools once he uh, once he came into power is is very important for you know leading. Oh, and that's ultimately what I saw. I was reading about in this article that I that I quoted from earlier. 
this is that's one of the things which you know really starts to to um make christianity and and any sort of state ideology incompatible is when the state starts to to vie for the minds of the youth right like right. and you see that time and time again absolutely across history right well, that's exactly it, because that's what you want to do. You want to get people when they're young, right? The Hitler Youth, for example, um, they are being brainwashed from a young age. And obviously, as Christians, we, we're trying to, to influence the, the next generation also. Right, right. Um, well, I, I would even add to that, um, Hitler had his own uh, Christian version of the, of the Hitler Youth. Oh, did he? I'm trying to find what they were called here. Yeah, the German Christians. Yeah, the German Christians. Yeah, th that was the, well, that's what they called themselves. Um, oh, but um, this one was at that time was just a just a youth uh, youth movement. Interesting. Um, what is this quote I got here that I want to look at quickly? Um, Carl Borman, Carl Borman. Um, this is a quote that he he gave. When in later decades and centuries, the German people's soul liberated by national socialism should once again be choked and crippled by Christian doctrines. It could be possible that it may have been caused by today's attempt to affect a synthesis between national socialism and Christianity. Um, very interesting quote there. Um, so basically that, that goes to show that they didn't really know what to do about the church like we've said before, they couldn't just destroy it. Like they couldn't just go and start shooting everybody. Um, I mean, that's sort of what happened in, in, I guess the Soviet union in a lot of cases, but I think different circumstances, different contexts prevented that here. And so they sort of tried to form this synthesis between Nazi doctrine and, and Christianity, but these things are just on their face, incompatible with one another. Um, well, they massaged it a lot, right? Yeah, exactly. The differences between the two there is Hitler's uh, seizure of power, I think, was much more of a, a, or definitely much more of a quiet revolution compared to, uh, you know, the communists. Communist. Oh, 100%, 100%. Right? So I think it's, it's harder to affect um, large amounts of social change in that kind of uh, steady progression, right? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I agree with you on that. Um, but in any case, the, I guess one of the things that I want to look at now then is just sort of moving, looking forward, um, you know, what can, what, what, what do we do with, oh, here's another, um, poster I found a propaganda poster. It's got a picture of Martin Luther and then behind that him is this one, eh? yeah, swastika. And it says Hitler's fight and Luther's teaching are the best defense for the German people. Um, crazy oh and as they you know uh call themselves certain christians call themselves stormtroopers of jesus christ right right uh, i found uh i found a quote um this was uh a director of um a christian social program in uh in a certain city or region and he said the genuine national socialist is a protestant and the genuine protestant is a national socialist yeah Only there you go God fearing folk can be victorious oh my goodness hey like 
Oh man. It's, it's, it's very... kind of, it's, it's kind of, well, it's obviously very sad, but it's kind of funny to look at it now. Like what a, what a strange juxtaposition of, of, of ideologies. What a weird time in history. Like I've been saying, it's just, it's, is crazy. Um, so I, w- I was thinking about then what are sort of some principles we could draw going forward. And I think actually this article that I have was sort of um, enlightening in that regard, because this guy's writing in 1950, and he's talking about um, what, uh, what, what happens now, like, what are the what are the what are the chances of this happening again or or what should people look out for um and so i think we need to be to be cognizant of the fact that there is a possibility and there have we have seen this happen recently look at china absolutely yeah um with this they have a their state-run church um which is very uh what would we call that? Um, juxtapose, like you said earlier, um, to to historical doctrines of the faith. Um, and so you have, in many cases, in 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 times after the Second World War, the state overextending her reach and getting involved in the church, yeah, and trying to make the church align with her ideological leanings. I think I think one of the things that that I drew from it was it was kind of interesting to see the willingness of the church when you know the regime was being receptive to the interests of the church and sort of extending that olive branch you know how much how willing they were to let them in I think that's certainly something to be on the lookout for as you can see oh, absolutely. in China and elsewhere where there've been revolutions it just pushes the church underground right almost strength well, not almost it strengthens the resolve of of the church to maintaining good doctrine and continuing to worship but in this sort of co-option here that you see um hitler trying to to carry out and succeeding in many respects with his um uh, you know his his german german uh, church or german christians it's uh i don't know it's 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 kind of a cautionary tale almost how oh absolutely and, and here I'm looking at this article here. Um, it says any political group stakes its hope for long life upon the indoctrination of youth. For the same reason, the training of youth is an important function of any religious institution. When the state feels that religious training is undermining its own ideology, then a struggle for control of education and youth activity is inevitable. Um, and we see that in our own day and age. We see that here too. Like you can't be the stuff that you, we preach from a pulpit on Sunday. You can't say that in a classroom. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, that is a good point. That's a good point. Um, People are more now than ever. We talked a little bit about church state relationships last week, Um, but people don't want uh, Christianity uh, to have an influence on the political okay. sphere in any absolutely deeper sense. But I think that even, even more so than that, it's a kind of interesting situation in society we live in now where tolerance is preached to such an extent. And yet um, people's willingness to hear different opinions has, has diminished. 
you know, I, it's very much a, you know, stay in your own lane. I don't want to hear any of your ideology, whether it be your, your religious, um, your religious, your theology or, or your, your politics, right? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, and so I, w- I was just also looking at the fact that uh, this guy was writing in this article, he's talking about how Protestantism too makes it difficult for a state to sort of overthrow it because it's got so many different denominations. Uh, <laughs> Although they, it, they were, they were quite, um, you know, grouped together in governance. In a it. little bit more. They had this, this, this evangelical alliance, which included the, the Lutherans, the reformed and the United church at the time. Um, so definitely more, I guess, homogenous than you'd see in the, in, in America right now. Um, but yeah, so it's not as easy as just poisoning a single well, I guess you could say. Um, because, you know, it's much more individualistic in a sense, um, where the individual Christian has, you know, the word of God as his sole authority. Right. As opposed to the, this, and this the, the individual responsibility of, you know, interpreting that, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and the Christian conscience and the liberty of the conscience and the freedom from uh, control and stuff like that. I think it, you know, it makes things a little bit different than if you were talking about a, a Catholic um, system. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we need to, to, to be careful too. when we draw, you know, like too many parallels, like, man, you hear this so much now, people just always making comparisons to Nazis, like left or right, everything is being compared to Nazis. Um, that's the first, you know, thing that people point to when they disagree with someone is Hitler. Yeah. You're Hitler. You're a Nazi. The left does this to the right. The right does this to the left. They draw these all sorts of conclusions and say, Oh, look at this. This is what's happening now. And I think we have to be careful at the same time. We can't be ignorant to the past and we need to, we need to recognize, I think when there is a, let's say, um, an unhealthy influence of the state and state ideology and unbelieving ideology, which is tr- vying for control of the church. I, I think that we need to, to be careful about that. We need to understand, like I was talking about the, this, the situation with our schools, the, the schools are not teaching uh, Christian truth um, to, to, to young kids. And that obviously has a major influence on their worldview as they develop. And so we need to make sure that our kids are being taught the scriptures um, to counter what they are being taught in schools. Um, And just in general, I think we need to make sure that we are boldly declaring the truth of God and his word um, in churches um, on Sunday, but also throughout the week on a regular basis, right? Very good points there. And to be politically active as well, politically and even legally. Oh, sure. Maybe you could uh, sort of expand on that a little bit, though. Well, uh, just uh, making sure that we, you know, aren't aren't inactive or allow our, our activity in the political sphere to atrophy. Because if you're not, um, you know, fighting for fighting for your rights, fighting for your freedoms, you can lose it very easily, right? Absolutely. And I think we talked about this last week, like we live in this... Yeah, we talked about this last week. We live in this democratic system. We have an election coming up. We the government is soliciting our opinion. We have an opportunity to voice our opinion, to cast a ballot, um, to vote our conscience, um, and so we have a responsibility to do that, right? 
Yeah, and we have we have the courts where we can challenge the government when they err, when they when they do try and overreach. And obviously that's a, a secular system, but there there have been victories of religious groups in the past that are certainly heartening in, in our own nation. And we also just need to take a sober appraisal of the past and of our own situation and say, hey man, this stuff can happen. Like people can get uh sort of um raptured and raptured with this with figures and and develop personality cults and worship these uh mortals who are charismatic and um who provide them with some sense of uh let's say what would the word be um belonging worth belonging worth and then also dividing people and pointing out here's the good guys here's the bad guys i mean that's what they did that's classic stuff it doesn't it wasn't invented by the nazis they were just masters at it right um, yeah. And that's what people always do. Um, just on a more maybe reform perspective, though, uh, I was thinking about the, the Westminster Confession of Faith here, and, and it's chapter 23 on the civil magistrate. It says that the civil magistrate may not assume to himself the administration of the word and sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's important. Um, we don't, we can't have Reich bishops, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like this is just, stuff that needs to be stopped right off the hop and say, say, okay, um, this, there is a distinction here between these two spheres and we cannot have this ideology or these people, um, poisoning the church or trying to distribute or administer, um, those sacred ordinances, which God has given, well, but to his special people control of, of governance, even if the theology is separate, because if you throwing back to the, the Reich Bishop, you know, the reason that he was able to um, place his people in all these different evangelical alliances throughout the, the provinces or, or areas of Germany was because um, Hitler had the power to uh, he, he declared uh, the, the current church governance on, unconstitutional, essentially. He had the ability to call call an election, so there already was that hand uh, preceding his rise to power of of the state in in the church governance. In oh, absolutely, alliance, right? So that's certainly something to be avoided. <laughs> that should. Oh, one hundred ten percent. Here's just another quick quote here from this article. Um, I was thinking maybe I should make this available to people somehow, but um, this was written by a guy named Chester Hunt. Chester Hunt back in, thanks Chester, back in uh, the 50s, 1950, I think. So not long after. So this is still very fresh in his memory. But the points of conflict, he says, in Germany were not unique features peculiar to the local situation, but were the German expression of a conflict based upon the inherent clash of interests between a Protestant church and a totalitarian state. There is an inherent <laughs> uh, juxtaposition dichotomy between protestantism and totalitarianism um yeah. especially when that totalitarianism tries to usurp the role um which god has given to his servants to lead his church and of course as we know as paul makes very clear as scripture makes clear over and over again, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And as Paul says in Romans 13, there is no authority except from God. And that is what the Nazis didn't realize. That is what no um, totalitarian 
authoritarian fascist communist regime um, acknowledges. And that ultimately, I think, brings about their failure, um, either now or in the life to come, they will be judged for that. I mean, the church is still around. The Nazi party um, was defeated after only existing for a short period of time. I mean, 1933 is when they were elected into governments. And so what is that? Uh, 12 years? Yeah. Um, 12 years. So, so much for that thousand year Reich. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, we know that uh, God's kingdom is hundred. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even make a, you know, a centennial and then God's kingdom we know is, is eternal and his people, you know, the Israelites have still been preserved. They're still there. Right. Um, so despite, you know, this attempt to eradicate them from the earth, which was the, the MO of the, the, the Nazi party, um, they're still there. Um, Hitler's dead. All his cronies are dead. Um, their at their attempt to to poison the church, although it was successful in some ways temporarily, and and there's a lot there that is is definitely uh, shameful when it comes to to church history. Um, they didn't prevail. Yeah, the end result is the the victory victory of the church. The victory of the church, the victory of Christ, um, the cross of Christ, the gospel of Christ, which has to be proclaimed, which can't be. And this is, you know, another reminder why we have to be careful with this, these, these, these uh, doctrines which are put forward by um, liberal Christianity and, and higher criticism. We see how dangerous this can be um, when you start tampering with God's word um, and you start making Jesus out to be something that he isn't you know like that has serious ramifications that that play themselves out in history and obviously god is 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 going to hold those people accountable yeah as you mentioned in this life or the next absolutely absolutely Both, really, um, i think in in the case of of many of uh many of these these leaders and uh you know, propaganda artists um, but I think any time that you have a totalitarian state or, you know, too much power given, uh, centralized within a, a government, you're, it's going to bump up with the church. Um, it happens everywhere. You ha if anywhere there's Christianity, anywhere the church has any sort of significant influence, the state is going to have to deal with them in one way or the other. And, uh, in, you know, with the, the revolution, the Bolshevik revolution, um, the Leninist revolution, you see basically a lot of aggression, violence, overt, blatant, uh, oppression. Whereas like you said, in the, the German, the Nazis tried to, they, tr I don't know what the word is. They tried to be, they didn't even try to be democratic. They just, they tried to co-opts was the one that yeah i, I, I like that's what i was reading yeah, right? it sort of tried to bring them into the fold right and then begin to, to influence them yeah it was more of like a stab in the back sort of thing maybe <laughs> hey like yeah after, um, after a very you know friendly embrace <laughs> yeah even though i guess anybody with a brain or a mind or who had had who had read mind comp for example would should read that and say oh wait a minute you you want to 
kill all these Jewish people. Like, like the stuff that you're talking about isn't in line with <laughs> the doctors of the church at all. Like, but, but they, that's what well, happened at the beginning. I think they wanted to believe that that Hitler was was a Christian and was a friend of friend of the church. But the problem, but the, the 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 problem is though, like Mein Kampf had been printed. You know, um, this stuff was in there. Yeah, like people were willfully I, ignorant. I think certainly Pastor uh, Carl Carl Barth certainly must not have been uh, must not have read it. Um, well, I think that they, well, I don't know how many people actually read it. I know that, uh, you know, it was basically <laughs> a crime not to have it, a copy of that in your home. Um, but I don't know how many people actually, actually read, um, Mein Kampf. I think it's pretty, uh, I don't think it's, it's, I haven't read it myself. Um, but from secondhand accounts it's pretty clumsy and a lot of rambling on, um, you know, Hitler liked to ramble on about his about his woes and his grievances and i think that was sort Certainly of what made him favorite uh, manifesto no <laughs> exactly so um let's uh maybe let's wrap it up here i i know we covered a lot of ground we kind of jumped all over the place but i mean this stuff is just so fascinating and so i'm just glad that we were able to discuss it and i hope that uh people learn something here um I'm not too sure what we're going to be covering next when we, we do our next lessons from the past episode, but I, I think this is certainly one that is worth, worth considering. And so I, I thank you for, uh, for taking the time to, oh, to hey, jump on. With hey, me. thank you for having me again. It was, uh, it was a great conversation. I think anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's always, always, always a good time, man. Um, I appreciate it. Um, you know, God is good. That's what I want to stress. Jesus is Lord. Um, God is sovereign. Um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Uh, the the nations of the earth are a drop in the bucket. You know, um, none of this stuff, propaganda, whether it's left wing, right wing politics, it doesn't impress God. Um, and we and we shouldn't find ourselves being sucked into to this stuff in a way that takes from our allegiance and our fidelity to Christ who alone is sovereign. Yeah. Amen to all that. <laughs> amen.